think I'm doing those eyes. <laughs> I think I'm in love. It was terrifying. The pain, the, the fear of being eaten. I was drowning at the same time. I just accepted that I was going to die. Was there a bit of fandom for you when he came on? Oh, huge. And I did not try to hide. <laughs> did not try to hide at all. Out of the box with Serge Negus on FBI. Now, my guest today is a boxer who's been ranked number three in the world as a bantamweight, has won three Australian titles and one Oceania title. She's also a Muslim woman and a former political advisor with a passion for international aid work, which she intends to go back into once she's fulfilled her boxing ambitions. Her name is Bianca Elmir, and she is one hell of a woman. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, hello. I'm going to use that bio. That's a bloody great bio. <laughs> I need to use that. <laughs> well, look, it is quite an impressive bio, I must say, but we, we've got to go back a little bit here because your story is one of those stories you come across sometimes where you just go, what? I can't believe this person exists and that they've gone through so much. So we have to get started at the beginning because you you arrived in Australia in quite an interesting way. You basically say that you were kidnapped by your own mum. Yeah, so Diana, my mum, um, took me from my dad. So yeah, so kind of um, kidnapped me. So officially kidnapped me, I guess, um, and got on a plane and returned back to Australia. So my mum's born in Brisbane, but um, I was born overseas. So she married my dad um, who was Lebanese and then lived in Saudi Arabia uh, for a little while and then they they divorced and I was um, put with my dad's parents in a village and then my mum had like a weekend visitation and then one weekend she just made a master plan to steal me which she did and then got on a plane and then um, and then called her parents and said that she was she had me in the way in Australia and that she was never going back. Wow. And how did your dad react to that? Uh, so we kind of like partially went into hiding. Um, we lived in Canberra. So my mum lived in Melbourne, then we li- moved to Canberra. Um, and my dad didn't have any contact with me until about, I think, seven or eight years old. And then I just had like weekend phone calls from him. Um, so they kind of came to an understanding that my mum was going to keep me so he just accepted that fact but I only met him when I was about uh, 19 years old was the first time I ever met him what was that like when you had that first interaction with him uh that was a really surreal feeling that I've probably never had any feeling like that or never will have anything like that the feeling that came over me was I was very removed emotionally and so just kind of felt like I was meeting a stranger but had to convince myself that it was someone more than a stranger, but yeah, yeah, didn't have that connection, but was very moved by the whole experience. Of course. And what's your relationship like now? Have you gone back back home to his home and, and, and visited him and those kind of things? Uh, so I've met him in Saudi. I went to Saudi Arabia, which was in itself a really fascinating experience to go mm. to Riyadh. Um, much to my surprise, I was allowed to walk around without a headscarf and stuff. But really? um wow. Yeah. Uh, and only, I think, this year women are allowed to drive. But when I was there, my stepmom was having to um, get a chauffeur to drive us around and stuff. Um, so the cultural experience was I- intense for me. Um, you know, I'm raised in Canberra and I'm very mm. much... You know, true blue, true blue Aussie camera girl in so many ways, but then also yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I like won't wear shoes, or like there's a bit of a slob, really. And then went over to Saudi Arabia, which was just, um, you know, the the 
expression of being a woman in Australia is very different to what it is to being a woman of course, in, yeah. uh, sorry, in Santa Rosa than it is in Australia. So I had to get my head around that. And my dad is very consumed by work. So he's someone that is very... What does he do for work? Um, he's an electrical mechanical engineer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's very intelligent. has got like um, many degrees and knows up to six languages, um, supposedly. And But he's your v- very much an old-fashioned man who won't mm. show emotion or hug or kiss or anything. Yeah. Wow. I'm very different to that. What? How do you feel about the way you ended up in Australia? And I guess like, I mean, are you happy that you ended up growing up here yeah well i mean i very much was always australian so my mum's born in uh not to warm she's born in brisbane somewhere in brisbane in and my grandparents migrated in 1951 so my destiny was always to be an australian um uh, it came you know it came off that pathway when my mum was forced to move back to lebanon when she was 17 mm. with her parents who wanted to um Reteach the values of what it is to be a Lebanese person and a Muslim. So they went back to Lebanon um, when my mum was 16, was 16, 17. And so then she got married, I think it was 19, and had me at 21. But I think her destiny was always to be living in Australia. You know, I was always mm. going to be here. It was always going to be under different conditions, I guess. So when you say to go back to reteach the values of being a Muslim, is mm. that just to, I guess, like reconnect after not having the traditional experience here in Australia? Yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, in the 50s when my grandparents, I mean, my granddad's legacy is huge. I mean, he came on a ship and was without much educational language and um, found found a home here in Australia worked factories sometimes two or three jobs at one time and um and yeah and made australia his home i understand that the market difference of cultures and faith would have been a huge shock for both my grandparents so i think at at when my mum was about that age i think then they've decided they've realized that there's just no cultural depth Mm. in their upbringing and that was probably really scary for them yeah wow that's fascinating. Look, it's something we'll get more more into as we go along today. But uh, we're going to play a song. We're going to kick things off. The first track you got for us today is James Blake, Forest Fire. Uh, wh- why did you choose this song? I, I stumbled upon this song one day when I was having some kind of crisis at home. I think I just put a whole <laughs> heap of sad songs. And then this one came up. It's not really sad, but it's kind of melancholic a bit. I really like it.
Everybody always forgets what I need I hope you'll stop me before I build a wall around me We need a forest fire 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 You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus, and my guest today is Bianca Elmir. She is a Muslim woman, a boxer, a political-minded person, a very interesting character, that's for sure. And she's actually taken the world by storm with her boxing of late, and we'll get stuck into that a bit later on. But, I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm intrigued to hear from you is the experience of a Muslim woman in particular in, in modern-day Australia. What's it like? That is a really good question. What is it like in modern day? Okay, there are many perks and um, many ups and downs with with being a Muslim woman in Australia today. I think the ups is that uh, with information around and there are a lot of Muslims and, you know, you can get on social media or get on the internet so easily. You know, you can go and research and understand and, it's, you know, it's it's readily available. I guess the down part of it is that there's whilst there is so much information there's also a lot of misinformation and it's very hard to navigate through that sometimes and I find that as a Muslim you're put on the defensive immediately and it's just not a good place to come from I think to be having to either advocate for something constantly or have to defend a space just because people may not have the right information and that's mostly because of kind of the powers the powers to be and that people can also be a little bit lazy. Yeah, for well. sure. Well, look, I mean, like, if we're going to look at it, like, in the most honest way, the way the media projects it and the political world projects it for Australia, not just Australia, but most of the Western world, is it 
Muslims are considered pretty much public enemy number one. I mean, how mm. the hell do you deal with that as someone put into this category, which is <laughs> such a ridiculous place to be put? I know, I know. It is. I just think about like in the 80s and stuff when it was the Russian communists who were yeah. like at the behest of like they were the evil. They were always the evil guys in all the Hollywood films as well, which is funny. Yeah. Um, but now the Muslim has taken over that boogeyman figure. Uh, I guess you just have to remain grounded and I feel like I need to be very vigilant in taking every opportunity I can take to speak up for what I believe to be right. You know, I, I took this radio interview, I'll take other interviews, I'll be on any panels. I just feel like I have to make an extra effort to try and push against the bravado of what it is to be Muslim today, mm-hmm. which is a very simple and, you know, it's 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 not as complicated as what people think. You know, I'm a Muslim. I connect with everyone around me. I don't see my faith as holding me back from anything. If anything, in it in, in it enables me to connect even more with my, with people in place, and I've always used it as a really positive uh, vehicle in my life. Always, and the moment that it doesn't become positive is the moment I'll walk away from it. What do you think? Like the biggest misconceptions are of, of, of Muslim people in Australia. The biggest misconception of Muslims would be that we're inherently violent and we don't value life and that we subjugate women. Uh, so whilst there are all three of those elements, um, there are uh, can be found in the faith, definitely. It's not prescribed as being Muslim that you have to do all those three things. And so I think that, you know, definitely Islam has been mis- misrepresented by Muslims themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... You know, that's and I mean that's with every religion, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's a very old religion. It's been around forever, and it's you know one of the fastest growing religions in the world. And you know the biggest population of Muslims in the world is in Indonesia. It's not even in the Arab world, and most most people don't know that. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think they're the three main things that kind of I'm I try and get my head around every day. Of course, for sure, yeah. it's kind of there's some level. Of, uh, I guess it's ironic in some way given that you're a boxer though, oh well. yeah and I'm a woman <laughs> yeah it's like yeah, it's you're, you're cutting down barriers <laughs> left right and centre yeah yeah I um, I just thought I might own that violent label you know I'm like, I'll just own it so but, it, just... but in a way that western society accepts like it's it's quite and even yeah. that in itself is a contradiction in terms like you know western society is like oh yeah we're all we're not violent we're beautiful people but then they love to bash each other up in a ring yeah, and bash yeah. each other up on the sporting field yeah so. I mean you look at MMA <laughs> MMA is like one of the growing sports. It's the biggest sport in the world. And, you know, that's like people spend thousands of dollars to travel and go to these events. And essentially you're putting two humans in a cage and watching them try and beat each other to death. It's so, just modern-day gladiator, gladiator shit, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's wild stuff. Well, look, yeah. we'll, we'll keep this conversation rolling after this next song. And, and you've got Django Django default for us. What, what, why did you choose this one? It just makes me want to dance and smile. Perfect. <laughs> Let's whack it on. <laughs>
My guest here today is Bianca Elmir. She's a Muslim woman who's taken the nation by storm in boxing, which is, yeah, not what many people would kind of, yeah, I mean, you're not the norm, that's for sure. I'm sure most people listening today, that's the first time they've heard Muslim female boxer. So can you tell us, how did you start off in this realm? Uh, I was a kickboxer before I was a boxer, and then um, and I just got into that. I was I was a soccer player before then, and... The story goes something like, from what I remember, my coach said, well, you should probably choose a sport where, where you're allowed to hit people. <laughs> so maybe I was a bit violent on the field. I can't remember, but I was probably, I was, I've always been a little bit on the aggressive side. And, um, and you know, I'm only five foot two. I'm small. <laughs> you know, I'm really small. But, um, I, you know, I've never been really worried to get hurt or anything. I'll be the first to take a dare or anything like that. So, yeah, going to kickboxing was quite natural for me. And then... I think I just uh, became good at it and then became obsessed because I became good and then uh, went into boxing after it was announced that women were now formally allowed to go to box in the Olympics and it just put a little bit of a carrot at the end of the stick and um, and I just started, started fighting more, like a professional fight, I mean, sorry, professional, amateur fights and then just, um, just, just got caught into the obsession of boxing. For sure. You've mentioned that there, you know, there's a bit of a dichotomy between being a woman and boxing. What do you mean by that? Uh, 
I guess that the the traditional idea of women being quite nurturing and caring um, and maybe a little bit uneasy with kind of aggression and uneasy with, definitely uneasy with violence, would say would be the kind of gender norm of what it is to be a woman. And I'm very comfortable now. You know, I've ta- it's taken me years to say that I'm comfortable, um, but I'm definitely comfortable now by being a woman, being proud to be a woman, and being okay to express myself in a very masculine way, which is to be quite aggressive and violent. For sure. Um, but it's not taken away from my identity as a woman. If anything, it has added added on to it. And what does your like family think about you being a boxer? And, and I guess how does being a Muslim have an impact on your, you being a boxer? So I'm not a very traditional Muslim in a lot of ways. I do come from a traditional Muslim family. So my mother's side and also my dad, now that I've met him, would say that um, boxing is against the faith. And so they say it, they see it as actually going going against Islam. Yeah, so, okay, wow. Yeah. yeah. And is that just for women or for men as well? It's for men as well. They, um, I, I guess where it comes to me being a woman is that I should be taking a more traditional road, which means getting hitched and having babies. <laughs> and yeah. so that is the most important value to them. Mm-hmm. And so I've always operated outside of that. Um, but in Islam, they would say that um, getting hit in the face is against the faith so, oh, so they it's, so it's specifically getting hit in the face yeah why is that i don't, I don't even know that's fascinating it's like it's like it's, if it's this yeah i guess a, a holy thing to protect in some way yeah like you can inflict yeah i don't know because like my cousin does karate and taekwondo okay. and stuff but they don't um or just karate but they don't hit each other in the face yeah 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 but that's that's okay but yeah. the fact that i'm I don't know. Maybe it was like some Muslim doctrine because I knew that the brain damage and what was going on. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were ahead of the game. Yeah. Knew what was up with it. <laughs> wow. And, and, and so I guess, like, does, do your family come along to your fights and enjoy watching you? Like, um, My mum has come to my fights. My – actually, my auntie did come once. Yeah, they, they don't really – no, they don't no, come. No, they don't come. Yeah, they don't come. <laughs> so, so tell us as well, though, like, let's get into the particulars of, of the actual sport. I mean, like, what's mm. the quickest that you've knocked someone out for? Oh, well, um, okay, so my actual knockout, like a head knockout, came probably in the second round. Okay. But, so how, how many, like for people who don't know, like how Oh, uh, yeah, so that was, that would have been within, th- like between three and four minutes. Okay, it's pretty quick. Yeah, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's difficult because I've been the amateurs and they, we have to wear headgear, so it's really, and really big gloves. So it's harder to knock people out. Yeah, it's hard. Okay. But like I've taken, I've like I've put them down with punches. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> boxing. I actually really want to get into just boxing just for exercise at the moment. I just feel like I've got a bit of pent up kind of rage that I need yeah. to release. And I, oh man, I just need to figure out where to go to do it. It's a bloody great sport for that, really, honestly. Like, because I, I, I teach a mentoring program for boys on the coast as well. And yesterday I was talking about anger and how to express anger as a young person is really hard to find like a healthy way, you know. Mm. And. T- teaching the guys that it's it's okay to be angry. It's a very much a natural emotion. Um, I think in our society we don't really have a lot of avenues to express that and it becomes toxic. Like anything not expressed kind of festers inside and 
I can see that. You know, you see that with people's road rage and carrying on. A lot of that is just, you know, kind of residue anger that's been lingering for yeah, a yeah. long time. Totally. And I mean, they, they, I guess there's spaces as well where you can actually even have discussions about that anger and that rage whereas you know like yeah. in a lot of places it's just let to linger in some form yeah well we, we you know we're kind of casted away like anger is bad negative you need to be happy constantly positive you know all of the positive self-talk jesus but like <laughs> anger you know anger is fine it's actually a great emotion if you can you know if you can um channel that into something that really it can motivate for change you can create beautiful pieces of art i mean that's if you express it if you don't express it it just you know, becomes pent up. Yeah, and, and I guess dangerous. that's been, you know, in reference to my boxing, that's what it's been for me for a long time is there's a lot of be- things that have been outside of my control in my upbringing and I've had a lot of anger. I, mean, I was an angry kid. I was pissed off. I was pissed off with what it was to be growing up with my mum, being in a single-parent family, being an only child, like being told what I had to do every day, being con- micromanaged. All of that was just, like, lingering on my psyche and you know just generally being in this society where you don't have a lot of control and I um you know I was angry and it could have gone into either way and I'm just really grateful that I put all of that energy into a discipline like boxing. You're listening to Out of the Box FBI Radio. My guest today is Bianca Elmir. She's a boxer and a Muslim woman and we're going to get get into this idea of anger and these programs that you run a bit later on but we do have to get on to the music again the next one you've got for us is radiohead house oh. of cards i mean it's an absolute classic really, it's isn't it? so beautiful i only discovered it i mean i don't know where i've been but <laughs> it's one of the best songs i've ever heard Structure will collapse 
So my guest here today is Bianca Elmir. She's a Muslim woman who is taken to the nation by storm as a boxer, but she's also got a very strong social and political kind of conscience. So we're going to have a little chat about that later on. But you were recently um, one of 10 Muslims who were selected to go on this SBS show called Muslims Like Us. Firstly, can you tell us what that show was and then what the experience was like? So the show was having 10 people live in a house for about eight days, eight eight days, yeah, uh, five women, five men, and it was breaking down the stereotypes of, of Muslims and the faith itself. And, like, I mean, like, it, obviously there were lots of different kind of Muslim-based characters in that, in that room from varying levels of kind of the faith. I mean, can you run us through how different those kind of characters were? Well, we, yeah, we had um, some very intense versions of the faith that was, that was brought up by, by different people. Um, for instance, there was a woman wearing a niqab, which uh, was very confronting at the time, just because it took a very, uh, she took a very purist uh, understanding of the faith. And I think that's where the line is drawn with a lot of Muslims, is between those who take very purist interpretations of the faith and those who choose to be to look at the faith within the contemporary context of of our society today which is very different can you define those two kind of uh, like i guess belief systems in some way yeah so i mean look there are different sects within the slam i think there's up to like a hundred sects within islam and i think it all comes off this varying degrees of purist versus more contemporary approach now with the faith there was so in islam the quran was brought down to the prophet muhammad through uh through an, through the angel gibrael and after the writing of the quran there were caught this thing called hadiths which is what is kind of stories so it's it's stories that were uh, spoken about at the time by the prophet and the prophet's um, like friends. Mm-hmm. And so people interpret those stories in a certain way and people interpret the Quran in a certain way. So it's between understanding both the stories, which is the Hadith, and the Quran, people who take it quite literally, like word for word, oh, it said this, therefore it means this, and people who uh, take it a different way who would say, well, maybe it's within a different context and we can refer it like this. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm probably not making a lot of sense. I guess it's like you're saying, like, um, people who take it as something that they can use as a guide to people who take it as the law. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And people who can have a more fluid approach to understanding it and people who take word-for-word word literal approaches to the Quran. So I think that's, you know, you know, that's like me summarising it in a very simple way and I'll probably get a lot of haters on me for saying it like this. But... <laughs> Like, that's the way that I see it. You know, mm. I may be wrong as well. Um, and so within living in the house, we had people who were taking more purist understandings of the Quran taking it quite literally that this story meant this or the Hadith meant this. And then you had more um, other people who would take more a more contemporary approach to what some of those ideas were. And I guess, like, how conf- like how did the conflict go? I mean, were there tears, you know, was oh, there yeah. screaming matches, <laughs> all the good stuff? Yeah, yeah, there was everything a reality TV show could thrive <laughs> on. It was lots of crying and, 
yelling. I didn't, I didn't cry. Don't think I really yelled at anyone. Well done. Um, Congratulations. Yes, Cause thank that would have been you. tough. I could imagine. Yeah. I actually got them a box. <laughs> I got them to put a boxing bag outside. No way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really even use it. It was a bit lazy, <laughs> but, so um, funny. yeah, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of conflict, but you know, people take these things very personally and they take mm. these things very close to the heart. You know, it's something that they're passionate about. I fully understand that. You know, I'm passionate about a lot of things. I get riled up. You know, when, when someone is trying to challenge or put those down, you know, of course, you're going to be drawn to that. But um, it's interesting for an Australian audience to watch because it's not something that people are passionate about in this society. We're not mm. passionate about God or going to church or that. It's not something that really people speak about. Totally. They don't speak about it at the dinner tables. No one really gives a shit. And so being forced to live in a house in which these this is what people thrive on they you know they think about it most of the day so i i just had to respect that totally i think what's fascinating about it is i guess a lot of people in australia often lope groups of people based on religion and race together into one group without realizing that just because they're muslim or just because you know they're indigenous that they might all think the same so i think Mm. with this show what it really does is it helps you realize that you know, there's a spectrum that, that people are on within these groups that we traditionally would just all put together in the same category, right? Absolutely. And the spectrum goes to so many different areas of life, you know, gender, culture. I mean, the spectrum of what it is to be Muslim is vast and mm. wide and it's too hard to be putting it into one box and it's very lazy media work to constantly put it in one box it can't i don't even fit in one box i mean no yeah i don't know anyone that does of course so. well look i highly implore anyone listening to go check it out muslims like us it's on sbs i think you can stream it on demand mm-hmm. now look moving on to the songs again fade by kanye west why have you chosen this one <laughs> so it's a little bit of a um, poppy song but i just really love the chick in it who's there's a, a chick that's dancing in it and she's quite sexualized but she's like a strong woman i love it well, no one ain't around. I feel it fade. I think I think too much. I feel it fade. Well, ain't nobody watching. I feel it fade. I just fade away. I feel it fade away.
listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today is Bianca Elmir. She's a Muslim woman who's running around boxing, doing politics, just doing crazy stuff all around Australia, really. Now, look, you spent time working as a, as a political advisor for the Greens down in the ACT. Um, what drove you into that kind of path for a little while? Uh, so I studied international relations and community development at ANU in Canberra. And then I went and uh, did some consultation for a foreign prisoners um, organisation and then went and worked for a program in South Africa teaching sexual health um, education and HIV, AIDS and AIDS prevention. After coming back from that, I then just fell into this mm-hmm. kind of political, political advising and electorate work for a, just a local member of the Assembly for the Greens. And it, I just have, I mean, I'm very politicised, so I, I really love it. And, you know, and my member of parliament was very much a social advocate, so we were mm-hmm. very aligned in our values. Yeah, what, what social impact were you, I guess, hoping to achieve in doing that? Uh, I think it's a different approach in social advocacy coming from a more top-down. I'm always used to being bottom-up mm-hmm. and... Uh, I think I really wanted to see firsthand how the political ends work. Obviously, it's just a local member, so it's not like I wasn't working at Parliament House. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really moved by that and had a lot of empathy for, you know, a lot of people kind of like shun politicians and, you know, and, and you know, mm. depending on the politician. But, you know, this... Amanda Breslin, the Greens MLA, was just generally a, a very compassionate person and deep down wanted to create change. Yeah, they do. And I think people do misconstrue that. Like uh, mm. I've interviewed a lot of politicians on this show and they like work 
so hard. So hard. And and it is generally based on ideology. Like, they really do want to change the world in some way based on the way that they think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that it can kind of get a little bit corrupt and power-hungry along the way. Um, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't afforded to watch that because it was only, I was only working with a local member. So she had a lot more room to be driven by her passions. Um, but I think, you know, well, like watching the – I'm watching Amanda as well. Like it's a hard gig, you know. You're constantly yeah. like fighting and having to protect yourself. and Totally. You know, and it's like it's a bullyish environment. You know, they yeah. bully each other. Well, sometimes hard. I think you have to be like a masochist to want to be a politician yeah. because it's just constant pain. You're getting shit all the time from everywhere, from left, right and centre. Yeah, it's, it's like boxing. On. Yeah, it is like boxing. You're very, <laughs> it is very much like boxing. And uh, you, but you said you wanted to go into international aid once you, you finish your kind of boxing career. Mm. I mean, what, what kind of work would you want to do in that regard? Well, my ideal ideal job would just be so amazing if this could happen. Would be able to teach social and emotional resilience through boxing, which is what I do now. I do it that nationally. I do it in different workshops across Australia, Canberra, Sydney, co- the coast, and Melbourne. Um, but I would love to be able to teach boxing just as a little bit of a skill and um, a really positive outlet in a refugee setting as well, awesome. in refugee camps. Sometimes, I mean, these camps are permanent fixtures mm. in, in these countries you know, for decades. And so to be able to do something positive and team building and just any kind of outlet in kind of in, in a place of despair would be amazing. I know what it has done for me. So that would be my ideal job. That's a that's a great dream. I I couldn't couldn't fault it. It's yeah. perfect. Now yeah. look, moving on to the music next song, Jess Harlem Water. What's 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 this one? Mean yeah, to you? yeah. I found this one when I was in the South Africa. Well, my my boss gave it to me, and it's just so relaxing. Yeah, all 
You're listening to Out of the Box and FBI Radio. My name is Serge Negus. My guest here today has been Bianca Elmir. She's a boxer and a Muslim woman, a social entrepreneur in some sort of way, a pol- political-minded character who's doing some great work. And you're actually talking about that. We spoke a little bit about it earlier. You've been doing some mentoring kind of work with um, with young kids on, on, the, on the Central Coast. So tell us about that. Yep, so I work for a program called Top Blokes and we go into schools and they get um, the schools choose uh, 10 to 15 boys, grade 9 or 10, and then we we mentor them through really complex subjects like drugs and alcohol, um, uh, the the risks of of game of intense gaming, cyberbullying. Yeah, we 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 touch on everything: anger, how to deal with your anger, um, mental health, and so we yeah. So we work across thirteen programs in the Central Coast. It's also in Sydney and Wollongong as well. Um, and we've just we're we're creating a lot of change from the bottom. And how the how how are the guys reacting to that that kind of program? Yeah, I mean, look, for once we're asking them, like, what's your opinion on this subject? And I think that within the school setting it is very much, you know, it's an, it's education-based, of course, I, I respect that, and they are having to consume a lot of inf- information, but we're, we're trying to touch these guys on a more personal level by allowing them a safe space to be able to speak about things that are important to them. And then in doing that, we educate them and we give them the right information so that they can make more calculated decisions about their life, particularly about their mental health, where uh, young guys in Australia are five times more likely to commit suicide than women. So it's a huge problem in Australia. And unless we hit that on a more social level, particularly when they're growing up, you know, at that age is the most important time. For sure. Is there any way that if um, people want to get involved or help out in some way, they can? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, they can go online. Uh, We've got a Facebook page as well. It's um, topblokes.com and um, they they can source what things that they can do as well for that program. Yeah. Um, I also am part of a peer mentoring program in Canberra that I've only just jumped on, um, it's run by UN Women and it's actually a fellowship for leadership skills for young girls in Canberra. Um, so if people want to look that up, the applications have only just opened now. Um, so it's the organisation is called Jaziri, J-A-S-I-R-I, um, org, and that is teaching women leadership and mentoring skills and then I'll be a self-defence coach in that program. And that goes for 16 weeks. So the applications have just opened and that's for 10 girls. And uh, I believe you also have a fight as well coming up soon if people do want to see you. Yes, you can come and watch me punch a girl in the face on the 4th of May. <laughs> <laughs> that will be in Canberra at the Hellenic Club. Um, you can get information from me. Uh, you can go to my Facebook, Bianca Bam Bam Elmir. Well, if you want to get involved, go check it out. Bianca, thank you so much for coming in Out of the Box today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's, that's it for today. Other than one last song that you've got for us, you've got a Solange track for us. What, why have you brought this one on? It's just such a groovy song. I, I can chill and move to this song. Fantastic. Well, look, here's Solange. Big thanks to my producer, Nicole DePaolo, for helping me put this one together. My Billick is up next, so hang around for that. See ya. Oh, well, well, made the sun a
make it all yours time for us This shit is for us All my niggas let the whole world know Play the song and sing it on your terms for us This shit is for us Don't try to come for us The whole wild world Tell them niggas that it's all our time This us Some shit is unrest Some shit is forced When you know you gotta pay the cost Play the game just to play the boss So you're thinking what you gain you lost But you know your shit is taken off
Radio ninety four point five.
drive's over. We got some tickets to see that.